I'm turning once again this morning to the 16th chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be looking today at verses 8 through 12. Matthew 16, verses 8 through 12. This is really the continuation of the message we looked at last week when dealing with the first seven verses of the leaven of the Pharisees. And just by a quick reminder, uh, we saw last week that uh, the disciples uh, were a bit uh, spiritually dull to the words of our Lord um, as they were unable to understand fully what Jesus was talking about when he told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, of course, prior to that or previous to that, uh, Jesus had been dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees who had come to him with a desire to tempt him, uh, to uh, not to really gain any truth from him, but to tempt him to do something outside of what he should do. And he immediately questions their ability to discern real truth. And he gives them the illustration of how uh, they could discern the clouds, they could discern the color of the sky to determine what the weather the following day was going to be like. But he said, but you cannot discern the things of God. Of course, they were demanding a sign from him. They wanted Jesus to show them a sign. And he said, there's not going to be another sign. The only sign that's been given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we looked at how in various passages, uh, that was the sign that pointed not only to Christ uh, as the Messiah, but even in a typ typified form showed that he would in fact uh, die, be buried and rise from the grave. So what we were left with is that he left the, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, he left them, and he turns his attention now to the disciples. And we saw in verses 5 through 7 uh, that the disciples, when they came to the other side, they realized they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus sees that, and he tells them uh, to beware of this leaven, or beware the bread of the Pharisees. And of course, the disciples mistakenly believe, well, he's basically telling us, you need bread, do not go to the Pharisees for it, do not go to the Sadducees for it, uh, don't go to them for physical bread. Sadly, that's not what Jesus meant at all. He wasn't talking about fulfilling the need that they had physically for bread. And so now Jesus now turns his attention to the disciples, and we see in verse number 7, that as a result of Jesus' words, it says, they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Their, their conclusion was that Jesus is telling us to take heed and to beware because he doesn't want us to take from the Pharisees and he's acknowledging we do not have our physical provision. Yet Jesus again reminds them that is not what's at the issue here. So we pick up the account in verse number 8, and Jesus uses a series of questions, as he often does in his teaching, but he also uses a series of declarations. First of all, we see in verse number 8, he says, which then, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets you took up 
How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he had bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So verses 8 through 11, we see Jesus giving a series of questions that were meant to indict them for their wrong reasoning. Note specifically in verse 8, he says, O ye of little faith. Verse 9, he says, do ye not yet understand? And then verse, uh, verse 11 and 12, or verse 11, he says, how, how is it that ye do not understand? So Jesus' intention here is to bring them to the place of understanding. I've entitled the, the message this morning simply in the phrase of one of those questions, do ye not yet understand? Do ye not yet understand? The word yet there gives us a suggestion that there should have been some understanding. When we see that word yet in the, con the context of what Jesus is saying, there is a supposition that they should have been brought to a place of understanding the ways of Jesus, not only the ways in which he taught, but the ways in which he provided, the ways in which he healed, there should have been an understanding of his works. Now, sometimes we see that the disciples are very confident in their understanding of the Lord's teachings. Sometimes they would go very, very out front and they would say, Lord, we understand. Sometimes we would see them become very bold, like Peter, who said, Lord, I will die for you. And yet Peter made that statement lacking understanding. Because even Jesus told him, Peter, you don't know what you're actually saying when you say that you would die for me or you would go with me anywhere. So there is this principle here of a lack of understanding. The disciples were no doubt dull in not only understanding, but dull in their hearing. Now, I finished the, the exposition last week by asking a series of questions, and I want to revisit those for just a moment. And those questions were based on two different paths. The question I asked for someone here today who may be an unbeliever was simply asking the question, uh, are you dull of hearing? Are you dull to the Savior's words today? Are you dull to the command to repent and believe on Christ alone? Are you like these Pharisees and Sadducees who can discern the things of this world, who can make sense of the things that we see each and every day, but you're dull to understanding the things of the Lord Jesus Christ? We can be dull in our understanding of the works of the Lord. But we also know that Jesus does not exempt believers from this. I ask a series of questions also about the believer. What about us? Have we become dull in our understanding? Are we dull in remembering the works that God has already done, especially when we deal with present trials and present circumstances and things that are happening now? Are we forgetful? Do we forget what God has promised? Do we forget what God has done? It makes us fret. It makes us anxious because we forget and fail to remember and fail to hear what God has said. 
Now, it would be the pinnacle of hypocrisy and the pinnacle of arrogance for us to say that if the disciples could grow dull of hearing and lack understanding, that that could not happen to us. We can become dull. And we can become so familiar with what we have heard, what we have seen, that we just simply say, I understand, Lord. But yet, as the Lord Jesus himself said to the disciples, he says, do ye not yet understand what's happening here? Now remember, Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry and he called these disciples, he did not unwrap the entirety of what he was going to do. They would not have been able to even comprehend the whole idea of the cross. They would not have been able to comprehend what he was even saying. Uh, the idea that the disciples knew from the moment they were called that Jesus was headed for a cross, the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. They had no concept of what he was even talking about. And yet, little by little, he would reveal to them certain aspects about his ministry and certain aspects about what he was doing. But as we pick up again in verse number 8, and we see that Jesus makes a convicting observation and a question. And I believe in these series of verses, there are three specific charges that Jesus brings against his disciples. Now, much as our pattern is, I do want to draw our attention for a moment over to Mark chapter number 8, because I want you to see that Mark, uh, in his writing on the inspiration of the Spirit, uses harsher expressions. He, also, he uses language that's a little bit more uh, pointed. Now again, it doesn't mean that Matthew or Mark's account that one is better than the other. All right. Uh, sometimes we talk about different writers do different things. Um, some, some of the writers are intended on getting to the point very quickly. Other writers are very detailed. But I do want us to notice what the passage in Mark chapter 8 verse 17 says. It says, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand. Now notice the phrases that Mark uses. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? Now, Jesus puts those deeper questions out, but we see that they actually answer in Mark. And they give the answer and say, we remember each answer. We remember it was 12 here. We remember it was seven here. And immediately leads Jesus to say, then how do you not remember if you can recall that, then how can you not understand what I'm talking about now? These three charges, I believe, that Jesus is bringing against them, we start to see it in verse number 8 with this charge of, O ye of little faith. We hear that expression. We've heard that expression all of our lives. If you've sat in churches, you've heard, O ye of little faith. You've heard it proclaimed from the pulpit. You've heard it said and uh, talking to somebody, and you've heard it in the Lord's words. But what does it really mean to have little faith? Well, within little faith, I think there's three separate things that we have to consider. Little faith is marked by ignorance. It's marked by unbelief. 
and it's marked by forgetfulness. Ignorance, unbelief, and forgetfulness. That makes up little faith. Well, how were they ignorant? They were ignorant in the fact that they did not understand that Jesus' usual ways up to this point was to teach spiritual things by using earthly illustrations. This is not the first time Jesus did that, where he took an earthly illustration to teach them a spiritual truth. They have seen it before. It's not the first time that they had done it. And so Levin, Jesus' point is, is they needed to come to a place to understand the leaven certainly must mean something else. And yet, he charges them with little faith. How is it that you still don't understand how I teach? You still don't understand using earthly illustrations to teach spiritual truths. We see that in the first part of verse 8. Oh, you have little faith. Why reason you among yourselves? Because you have not or have brought no bread. So there's also the charge of unbelief. Why is there unbelief there? Because Jesus reminds them of a time when they had already witnessed his power. They had already witnessed his compassion. They had already witnessed his goodness. He feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves. He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves like Mark goes on and gives details that they knew the answers to those questions. But he did that out of his compassion. Remember we saw in both of those miracles, it was a different multitude of people. Some was geared towards the Jews, some was geared towards the Gentiles. But he did it out of his compassion. How is it that they still did not believe that Jesus could provide for them? The reality is, even if Jesus had been talking about their lack of provision, how is it that they were still wondering how were they going to be provided for after he saw those two miracles? But yet that's not what his point was, was not about the physical bread. But they were still showing unbelief in the fact, we don't have any bread. What are we going to do? Well, the multitudes of people didn't have enough bread either. And what did he do? He multiplied it. There's still a hint of unbelief in them. In verses 9 and 10, I think Jesus puts his finger more upon what we are most prone to, which is forgetfulness. He says, Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, and how many baskets ye took up, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets ye took up. Forgetfulness in Scripture is often made in connection with being the very foundation of unbelief and disobedience. We unbelieve, we are become unbelief, or we live in unbelief because of forgetfulness. A lot of our disobedience is as the result of forgetfulness. We forget what God has commanded. We forget what God has instructed us to do. So Jesus in these verses is charging these three, these disciples with these three things all under the heading of, O ye of little faith. So he charges them with these things. Verse 11, he begins again to pull this together and he challenges the disciples to consider what they had already seen and heard. Now you'll notice at this moment, Jesus does not offer up a new miracle. He doesn't give them a sign either. He doesn't do anything new. He points them back to what had already been done. And he says, how is it 
that ye do not understand. How is this possible that after all you've seen me do, all of my displays of power, how are you not being strengthened in your faith? When we come into similar circumstances, when we come into situations where we begin to doubt what God is doing, we begin to doubt what God, how God's going to provide, how often do we demonstrate weak faith? How often do we demonstrate a hardness of heart when we fail to consider what we've already seen and what we've already heard? See, if you sit back long enough to think about what God has already done, what your eyes have already seen, what your ears have already heard, He has already done so many things to us for us. How can we not understand who He is? How can we not understand that through this is how our faith is strengthened. These experiences that we see in life are often given to us to challenge a very weak faith that we have. Sometimes our heart grows hard and we don't even realize it's began to harden. Sometimes we don't even realize our faith has become smaller, that we are again beginning to question and to doubt Really, the reality is, is when we fall into those times of forgetfulness, that really what God has done has not made a deep impression upon our souls. How deeply has what Christ has done for you, how deeply is that impressed upon your soul? Is it just a head knowledge that we have? Or has He really impressed upon your soul who He is, what He has done? When is the last time we sat and just thought about and considered what have we already seen? What has he already done? Oftentimes, we, our faith gets put to the fire, our faith gets put to, the, put to the test, and instead of remembering what he's already done, remembering what we've already heard, we suddenly want him to give us something different. When all we really need to do is remember what he already has done. Think about how He's already saved your soul. Think about what He's already delivered you from. Even as we studied in the 10 o'clock hour, how He's changed your ways. He's changed your walk. He's given you a, a heart to walk with Him in purity. And yet Jesus is having to challenge His disciples in the same manner. And you'll notice that all this, Jesus simply asks questions. And I found this very remarkable. He says, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And then the verse 12 starts with the word then. Then understood they how he bade them. It's as if they suddenly come to a realization and what they now know. There's no new sign given. There's no new explanation. It was just a series of questions and it says now they understood. I think what we're seeing here is the conviction of Jesus' words were now being understood by the disciples. Many of these things probably came flooding back to their mind. Oftentimes, if you've ever been in a place where you found yourself doubting God a bit, where you found yourself being tossed about, 
Oftentimes, the, the good, the things that God has done, they come flooding back to our heart. They come flooding back to our memories. We see a passage of Scripture and suddenly we remember the goodness of God. And we begin to re-understand once again, oh yes, I remember God. I remember when you delivered me out of this despair. I remember when you, you lifted me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the solid rock. I remember that time when my hope when God was almost gone and you reminded me from your word. Why are you cast down? Hope thou in God. And over and over and over again, the memories of what God has done for us come flooding back. You see, we don't need God to do something new. We don't need God to perform a new miracle. We don't need God to give us a new sign. That's the way the Sadducees and the Pharisees were acting. We just need to remember and understand what God has done. They understood how He instructed them. He under, they began to understand what He was talking about. And we see they understood in detail what He was talking about. It says, Then understood they how that He bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, that's the physical bread, but rather or but of the doctrine that's the key to understanding now what's happened. The word doctrine, he wasn't warning them about getting physical bread. He was warning them about absorbing and taking in the doctrine that the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed. You see, we took a little bit look at this a little bit last week. And we looked at how the doctrine of the Pharisees, what it was about, and how there was a difference between the doctrine of the Sadducees and the doctrine of the Pharisees. But if you were to break it down to simple terms, we would say that the doctrine of the Pharisees could be reduced down to really these two things. Number one, they believed in justification by works. And their justification by works was according to an imperfect sense and an understanding of the law itself. In other words, the Pharisees believed it's works that saved, but their understanding of those works was imperfect. See, the Pharisees did not understand the teachings of the Lord. They did not understand what he was saying. But they also, the Pharisees, had, remember, the obligation to keep tradition. We saw that one of those traditions, remember, we studied in depth about the washing of the hands. They made that as part of the law, and the Word declared that by doing that, they made the law of God of no effect. In other words, they were not applying the law properly. But what about the doctrine of the, Pharise of the Sadducees? Why would Jesus warn about doctrine? Um, I would submit to you today that doctrine is falling out of favor in many Christian circles and in many churches. It's now being falsely accused of this phrase, and you're going to hear this phrase, and it's going to get, more, it's going to get louder and louder and louder, and it's two simple words. Doctrine divides. That's a fallacy. But you're going to hear the beat of that drum. It's doctrine divides, doctrine divides, doctrine divides. We don't talk a lot about doctrine here because we don't want to be divided. You realize it is the doctrine of the Word of God that actually brings us together. That's what's unifying us. It's not even our denomination that's uniting us first and foremost. It's the doctrine of the Scriptures that unify now again, doctrine that's proper doctrine will drive out 
that which is contrary to it. There are some that do not want sound doctrine. But the doctrine of the Sadducees, remember, we summed it up by looking in Acts 23, 8. Let's just, let's just return there just so we can remember. Because remember, the Pharisees, justification by works of the law, according to an imperfect sense, the Sadducees were told in verse number 8 of Acts 23, it says, The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not believe the same things, but they both had the same mission, which was to tempt Christ. Isn't it interesting that the word, look back at verse number 7 of Acts 23, and when he had said there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. You see what's happening here? There is a division because there was not a unity in doctrine. See, it's the opposite of what the current popular fad of the church is today. Doctrine divides, doctrine divides, doctrine divides. No unified doctrine actually brings together if there is a common belief in sound doctrine. The doctrine of the Sadducees, part of what Jesus was warning of, was that there is no resurrection. There is no, there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then there is really no point in Christ's death and his burial. Now, Jesus is warning about doctrines here, and he compares them to leaven. Now, if we take all the teachings we've learned through Matthew up to this point, remember, leaven is used to describe something that can get into the lump of, of dough, and just that small little bit of leaven will ruin the entire lump. But we also saw leaven being used as a positive that would make the kingdom of, the, the kingdom of God grow. Jesus is warning against the doctrine of the leaven spoiling or destroying the entire lump. It changes the nature of it. It leads us to a passage in 2 Timothy 2 to consider when Paul wrote to Timothy about doctrine. And he wrote to Timothy about being aware, be aware and to take heed of doctrine. And he gives a very graphic illustration of what happens. 2 Timothy 2, verses 17 and 8. Let's go start in verse 15 first, and we'll read down through verse 18. I want you to notice the connection that is made to one of these two groups that we just mentioned, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Paul writes, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker. That's an infection, all right? It's an, a canker is, is picturing an infection. Their word will eat as a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred. Notice what one of their errors was and one of their infecting doctrines was, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. See, doctrine infects. Bad doctrine infects. 
And there's a warning against that doctrine. It eats like an infection. It eats like a canker. It's a contagious nature of it. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of false doctrine will destroy the whole lump. I've had over the years people ask me questions about doctrine. And they'll ask me questions like, does this doctrine matter? Doctrine always matters. Or if they say, if I have a varying view of the virgin birth, I'm going to give you a real life example, does that matter? Oh, it certainly does. They didn't believe in the virgin birth. You say, well, that won't be a problem. You can come on in. It'll eat like an infection. That matters. That doctrine matters, and Jesus is warning them, do not even allow to take into yourself any of these doctrines that you're hearing the Pharisees and the Sadducees say. Beware of that. Don't let a single ounce of that into your life. Folks, again, you know, I, I hope you know that my intent is never first and foremost to meddle in your life, but I want you to understand something. There has never been a time in history that it has been so easy to introduce false infecting doctrine into your life than it is right now. It is at your fingertips. I hear it so often. People say, I, I was listening to this person online and I'm saying, why were you listening to that person? Well, someone told me they preach well. I don't care how well they preach. What is their doctrine? I've had conversations outside of our church with people when they say, hey, I enjoy this particular preacher. And I said, do you know what that preacher believes? Well, yeah, but he's viral on YouTube. Oh, that makes him sound. He's got three million followers. That doesn't make him sound. Listen, we should expect that an unbeliever can't tell the difference between good doctrine and bad doctrine. That's a given. But you should be able, like Paul wrote to Timothy, to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, that you could identify that is leaven. That is not biblical doctrine. Oh, well, they're, they're a good charitable person. Their doctrine will infect Folks, I have found out, and again, I don't want to digress this too, and go into this too far, but I have found out that the infection that will start in a church doesn't first start in a church. It infects a home, and then it gets into the church. And it's happening more and more now because of the false doctrine that you, it's at your fingertips. Because we're not discerning through the spirit of what's wrong with this. Or we're simply saying, a little leaven's not going to hurt me. It's an amazing thing how we've allowed ourselves to just, just a little bit. Or we hear a doctrine like that. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth, but listen to what he says about this. You realize that's an infection? Because if you take away the virgin birth, you're going to infect the entire doctrine. Nothing in this book is going to stand if the virgin birth is not real. So we've got to be very careful. 
Now we need to understand today that Jesus is asking the questions of his disciples. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to step out any, any boundaries of scripture here today, but the question has to also be to us, do we not yet understand how to discern, how to hear, how to detect false doctrine? Folks, it is not enough for you to go to a church and say the pastors and the elders will protect us from false doctrine. That's not enough. The whole book of Jude talks about men creeping in unaware. They slip in and they look as if we're here for right reasons. We're here for wrong. We're here for the right motives. You can trust us. And yet, if you hear a false doctrine, you say, wait a minute. There's something wrong with what you just said. Well, well, we can't be called unfriendly. Look, you have you have you can you can speak the truth in love without saying, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and open the front door, let the infection come in. I mean, if you knew you were going to be exposed to some type of an infection, don't you take the don't you take the steps to make sure you don't get it? Every one of us who, who hold the truth of God's word in love ought to be willing to protect it and say, no, we don't want that. We don't want false doctrine. I think there's a few applications we can make from what he told the disciples. And I think it's, again, it's, it goes with, without saying these apply to us as well. God expects us to not just to hear, but he expects us to understand. You should desire and hunger after an understanding of God's word and that goes beyond just when you sit here on a Sunday morning. You ought to be studying for yourself to be sure I understand what sound doctrine is. I understand what Je- I've not grown dull of hearing. He expects us to not only hear and see, but to understand. Secondly, I believe God doesn't just want us to hear for the present and understand the present, but actually to hear and understand for the time to come. Remember, Jesus was talking a lot about what had already happened. He was reminding them of the power and the goodness and the miracles that he had done. He was talking about the doctrine that they had introduced about the washing of the hands. But he also tells them to be on guard about that which is out ahead of us. I wanted wanted to say this. There There is a great resurgence of Reformed theology. There's a great resurgence of the doctrines of grace. But there's also some perverted versions of it out there floating around that you very much need to pay attention to. And just because it says Reformed on it doesn't mean it's sound. And just because it says doctrines of grace doesn't mean it's sound. Just because they say we get this from the Bible makes it sound. We need to be on guard understanding, okay, what does that mean? Now, we try to be very careful about labeling it, this is this, and say, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that? I believe, thirdly, we need to make the application that I think God, just as he does with the disciples, Jesus says he was not pleased with the disciples that they still did not understand. Listen, when there becomes times when our hearts become hardened to the things that we've already seen, becomes hardened to the things that we've heard, our eyes are are not seen as they should. He's not pleased with us. We should desire 
to hear. We should desire to see. Now this is all important because I believe that the next passage we're going to look at next week is one of the most important questions that Jesus ever asked his disciples. He takes an illustration and he says, who do men say that I am? Not giving too much away, but you go out in the world today and you ask man in general, who do you say, who, do they, who is Christ? But you'll notice that his main emphasis is not going to be on what they say. His main emphasis is on what do the disciples say. Again, it's a compare and contrast. That's where he says in verse 15, he says, He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And by the way, Peter gives the right answer. But it's one of the most important questions. It goes along with the questions that the other gospel writers simply say, what think ye of Christ? What do you think about Christ? What do you understand about Christ? What do you hear when the name Christ is mentioned? These are all the things that we are to have a spiritual understanding about. So as I ask you to do every week, and sometimes I forget to ask you, but I would ask you to read ahead. Be prepared next Sunday when we look at this text so that it's not the first time or it's not the first time in a long while that you've read it. Read through it. Study it for yourself. Be sure that what you hear me say matches up with what the Scripture says. The first time you come in shouldn't be the first time you've read that Scripture for the week. Read it and study it. Pray over it. You might even anticipate what, what might be the message next Sunday about this. So you've come with a heart that's prepared to hear and a heart that's prepared to understand. Jesus, of course, He rebuked His disciples, but He always did it in a means of them becoming more and more understanding of what He said. And I certainly hope that that's our prayer this morning as well. Before we sing our closing hymn, let's pray together. And we'll sing a closing hymn, and then I'll give you just a couple of verses of a benediction, and then we'll be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, you know this morning, Lord, our intent is to know the truth. And your word teaches that the truth will set us free. Father, I have no way of knowing today who may have, maybe is dull in hearing this morning. I have no way to, with 100% certainty, to declare who the believers here are today and who the unbelievers are. Only you, who ponders the heart, can give a conclusion to that. But Father, I pray if there are any here today who are dull of hearing, who are lacking understanding. I pray, Father, that for that unbeliever first, that that unbeliever's eyes would be opened wide to be able to see the truth. Lord, maybe they have heard the Word of God preached. They maybe have a Bible in their home where they have read the Bible themselves, but to this point, they have not been able to understand. And I pray, Lord, today would be that day where now their eyes see and their ears hear the glorious truths of the gospel, including their own need of a Savior, their own sin that has separated them from a holy God, that they would be brought to repentance, 
and they would believe and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Father, we pray for those who do profess faith in Christ. We pray for those who are claiming to be believers today. Lord, I pray that you would convict us through the Spirit of times when we have grown spiritually cold. We've grown apathetic towards your word. Uh, maybe we have let our guard down. We, have, we are failing to study to show ourselves approved. And maybe we've allowed a little bit of leaven, a little bit of false doctrine to creep into our hearts. Father, we know that as it says, your word says, it can happen in such a subtle fashion without any intention of introducing the infection of that leaven. Lord, we can, we can do it and not even know it. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would convict us of that, Lord, and that we would put that away and desire the pure milk of the Word and the meat of Your Word. And that we would love sound doctrine. We would not buy the lies that doctrine divides. No, Lord, it is, it is what brings us together. Lord, help us not to be divided, but to stand in the Word of God and its doctrine and what it teaches. Lord, we pray that you'll bless now as we bring this time of corporate worship to a close. May we not soon and easily forget these things. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.